Welcome to Two Therapists Talking. The hope for this podcast is to talk about important issues related to couples and individuals who are struggling in their lives with many different issues. I'm David Thompson, a marriage and family therapist. And I'm Sherry Christensen, marriage and family therapist. Please join us as we explore these issues together, and we hope you will learn and be enlightened along the way. Come find us at twotherapisttalking.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Two Therapists Talking. I'm Sherry. And I'm David. And today in this podcast episode, we are building off of our last episode where we were discussing the steps to recovery for the betrayed partner. So if you did miss that one, definitely go back and check that out. Today, we are going to be talking about the steps to recovery for the offending or addicted partner. Again, if you missed the last episode, these are uh, sexual offenses, whether it is finding out that your spouse or partner has been looking at pornography and you didn't know, or perhaps there's been infidelity or sexual acting out of other types and you were just finding this out and wanting to know what to do, or if you are that offending uh, partner who is realizing this is not the life that you want to lead, this is not what you want to be doing, and you're looking for what do I do, how do I move forward in this process of recovery, then this is the episode for you. We're going to go over again, we talked about last time a little bit, that this is an overview. So a lot of these points we're going to do a whole episode on because they're so critical. Yes. Definitely need it. Yes. So these are little overview, little bite-sized chunks to say, these are the steps. This is what the process is for you to recover from the addiction, from the uh, infidelity, from whatever it is that you're going through and listening to this for. So as we start... The first one is honesty, and this is absolutely the number one most critical piece and the building block foundation piece for everything that you will do in your personal recovery. There just has to be an absolute commitment to complete honesty, no matter the consequences. And that sounds very scary. No matter the consequences, (laughs) that phrase sounds very scary. And just to give you a little bit of hope with that phrase, one of the things that I find that betrayed partners will say, number one above anything else, is that when there is dishonesty, that is always basically worse than the infidelity or the betrayal itself. It is. It's funny because often if it's the guy, right, who's, done something, um, or if you're the guy and you're listening, I, I will say your wife or spouse can handle the acting out, whether it's pornography or doing more than that. They don't like it, but they can handle it. What they can't handle is the dishonesty. And we've done a lot of research on relationships. John Gottman has pioneered a lot of this, mm-hmm. and he's the one who who told us, and among others, that the most important thing in a relationship is trust. 
Mm-hmm. It's not even love. It's trust. I mean, you think about arranged marriages can work. Yes. Trust is the most important thing. And your spouse knows you're not perfect. They know you're not perfect. But you have to be honest about that. It, your faults, your weaknesses, your imperfections. Like they want to join you in a process towards your highest and best self. But if you don't give them the opportunity, uh, that makes everything harder. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it'll reach a point where without that trust, the relationship does not survive. Yeah, it can't. Again, with that, going back to Gottman's research, you have to have that as that basic foundation. And so I love that, that there is this ability to handle distress to handle difficult things in the relationship as long as there is that connection of trust. So guys, you got to have it. And and let me give you some advice. I love this part of this because you don't know what you don't know. This process will be so much better if you can be honest and open and willing. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk more about the steps, but my advice is it's okay if you accept that you are not who you thought you were. Now, this can be really, really hard, but I'm telling you from experience that unless you reach a point of, I did not have integrity and I thought I did. So here I am telling people, maybe your children particularly, you're teaching them to be honest, how to treat people, but you were hiding. You were Mm -hmm. keeping secrets. You had things that were uh, deceptive. That means that you are not who you said you were, and you're not who you think you are. Now, there's good news. Okay, I'm not trying to beat you up too much. There's good news. You Mm -hmm. can become the person that you thought you were. Absolutely. But it doesn't happen until you absolutely accept that you're not. Now, that can be heavy. That can feel insurmountable. It's hard to have hope. You can become that person. And I found that unless you knock the the broken building down all the way completely and rebuild it just doesn't work very well you're not going to solve a problem that you don't think you have absolutely and so my advice is to simply accept i know i make it sound easy <laughs> this is an overview but accept that you are not who you thought you were or not who you're portraying to others that you are not who you're portraying to others mm-hmm. but you can become that it's mm-hmm. just going to take uh, owning this thing in a very painful way, but you're going to be okay. And so honesty, 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 there is no substitute. There is no other way. Yes. More important than sobriety, mm-hmm. more important than anything else in this process is that you simply are honest about what you're doing. And this includes often we have to do a disclosure. Yes. And say this is what that looks like. <laughs> so a disclosure is just sharing your sexual history. Often it is doing a comprehensive history where you mm-hmm. write everything down. And, and sometimes there's a lie detector test. I do lie detector tests. I, I found too. that it's extremely helpful. It ends the game playing. It is a great reset. And from my experience, I'm not even kidding. This will shortcut the process Yes. A year or better, because it's a long time where you're not sharing what they don't know and you don't want them to know. And so by doing the sexual history in a lie detector, it's out. You shed all of it. And this is a good thing. This is a really good thing, but mm-hmm. terrifying, no doubt. Mm-hmm. 
And it's good, I think, on both ends, right? You get it out there, and it is so relieving to be able to finally be fully open and honest about the choices and decisions in your life and the things that have happened to you. Cause often there's some happening to you that's happened as part of this process mm-hmm. as well. Yep. And all of that comes out and it's just, it's done and there's no more hiding. And that is such a relief and such a relief to be able to be once again, that person of integrity. And on the other side for the spouse, especially if you have been hiding things or there's been what we call a trickle disclosure where they, they find out, or you tell them a little bit and then a little while later you find out, they find out, or you tell them a little more. And so they're constantly completely uncertain of what's actually going on. What is actually truth that doing that full disclosure and that lie detector test is very relieving for them because then they know there's nothing else. They know nothing is going to come up about two years ago or whatever. It's just all out in the open. So it's a great reset for both sides. And we will do an episode on that in the future. It, It is that important. I love them. I don't love them because I want to... Torment you. (laughs) Torment you, make you sweat. It's just, it really is that effective. It really, really is that effective. So that's the first part is honesty. The second part is sobriety. Now, sobriety simply means you stop the offending behavior. If it's pornography, you stop looking at porn. You're going to hear this a lot. Um, I call it PMO, rebooters online. Rebooters are guys who don't want to masturbate anymore. or fapstronauts is what we call yes. them. It's good to know maybe <laughs> if you want the terms, but PMO means pornography, masturbation, and orgasm. So you have to stop the PMO. That's sobriety. This must be done immediately if the behavior involves others. And so if there has been any sort of hooking up physically, um, either with prostitutes or massage parlors, or if there was just straight up an affair, an ongoing affair with... Uh, sexual activity, you have to stop that physical acting out. And any forms of communication with those individuals, blocking numbers, maybe deleting apps, all of those different kinds of things. And of course, when we say PMO and we have the orgasm piece on there, that's specifically in reference to sexually acting out. Right. We're not right. getting rid of orgasm completely in your life. No, 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 no. <laughs> between, between the two of you, whatever you do sexually is okay. So this is any, I, I call it solo sexuality. Mm-hmm. This is pornography, masturbation, orgasm on your own. Yes. Unless you have some arrangement together where that's okay. But if you do not, then that's what that means. And... Guys, if you are physically acting out, you have to stop all sexuality with your spouse until at least you can be tested and you are negative. Mm -hmm. You owe that to her. Mm -hmm. You have to make sure that this is not a safety risk for her. Mm -hmm. Own it enough to put her first in that sense. And vice versa, if, if it is a female, right, that if you are acting out, and sexually with others, you need to stop uh, having sex with your partner or spouse until you have been tested 
and they have been tested and everything is okay there. It's just, it's just responsible and ultimately it's loving yes. and you're going to need that as we rebuild mm-hmm. the PMO, the porn masturbation orgasm, so low <laughs> PMO yes. that needs to stop in time. Now, some are able to stop right away. For most, there's going to be slips or falls or relapses kinds of situations. And so we're working towards complete sobriety, but I do want to make the distinction that if it's hooking up, that has to stop. And there has to be bottom lines with consequences. And a bottom line is a rule that is designed to keep you safe. For example, if it's pornography, Uh, and this happens a lot late at night, then you can't bring your phone in the bathroom. That would be a bottom line. Mm -hmm. It's not a guarantee that bringing your phone in the bathroom, you're going to look at porn and masturbate, but we're going to make it easy for you. Bottom lines might be the internet past a certain time at night. It Mm -hmm. might be watching movies alone, but you're going to have to create bottom lines that actually have consequences. Certain apps, if you... Certain apps. Usually act out with certain apps. And... It's often appropriate to have monitoring software put on your devices. Absolutely. That's a great bottom line. Obviously, with a lot of these kinds of things, there's always going to be ways to access. But There always are. And that's why I, I prefer monitoring yes. to filtering. You're, you're not ever going to find something that stops everything. I would prefer we know what you're doing than we're trying to stop you from doing it. Yes. And you can do both. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with doing your best to eliminating as much access as so things just aren't popping up in your life. But, you know, understanding that anyone can always get access. And so we want to give yourself as much space as you can to recover. I've, I say often that I think that healing from sexual addiction, I think is oftentimes a lot more challenging than, for example, alcoholism or drug addiction. Definitely. Because you literally have access all over the place. And, right? and look, the goal is not to never be sexual again. Yes. You know, with alcohol, it's to never drink again. Yeah. Complete abstinence. With sex, it's not. And it shouldn't be. It's just learning how to manage it. Yes. And so much of recovery anyway is learning how to be disciplined around these behaviors. Mm-hmm. And so... So when you have a lot of access and you have your phone with you all the time, you know, it's just different. It's different than being able to put yourself in an alcohol-free environment. So we want to work on that management, on giving yourself those bottom lines and really pay attention to the things and the ways that are triggering for you, places that you slip. Really take a hard look at that and understand, okay, these are things that for me, I need to be careful and make sure that I'm creating bottom lines around that I have these consequences set up with. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. The third one is empathy. And if you remember from last episode for the betrayed partner, empathy was the last one that we we're talking about. And we mentioned at that point that empathy is much higher up on the list. So with empathy, again, we're looking to really understand our partners, to really be able to hear them, to see them, 
to hold space for their experiences and their emotions and what's going on for them. And you're going to learn to frequently initiate these types of situations where you can hear and listen to your partner. Remember with empathy, you are looking to put yourself in their situation to try to understand exactly what it must feel like to be where they are, to be in a position where you are simply there to understand and not to fix, to control or to judge or to change. It's only to understand. And empathy is important enough that we are going to do a future episode just on empathy. Mm -hmm. That's how important it is. But I can tell you from experience that the most important thing really next to just the honesty is empathy. And if they can feel that you know what they're going through and you can show that that's important to them or to you that you can feel what they're going through, that's the key to this process. I've, yes. I've seen that over and over and over again. And it's, it's almost like I've found that their bodies won't let them move on until you're safe. Mm -hmm. And this is not a conscious thing. They can't tell you when you're going to be safe. They'll feel it and they'll know it. And their bodies won't let them move forward with you until they've arrived at that safety. And yes. that safety comes when you genuinely feel their pain. You can reflect it back and share how much their pain hurts you. Mm -hmm. And then in time. With that trust piece from number one and the honesty. Yeah. Then in time, they're able to move on. And they will be safe again with you. Mm -hmm. And so don't be upset at them that it feels like it's taking forever. Their bodies are built to protect them, mm -hmm. and they do a good job. And things will change when they feel like things are changing because you're having empathy and you understand what they're going through. Yes. I, I don't even know how many times in sessions we'll talk about developing empathy. We'll talk about this. And um, they're one of the things that is always brought up, especially for men, they'll bring up, but if I'm just listening, like, what do I, I just, I just want to fix it. Like, I just want to make them feel better. I just right. want to fix it. And, Definitely. and I tell them, this is fixing this it. This is the fix. If yep. you think that, you know, if you really, really want to fix it, that's what this is. To be heard and seen and understood. That is the fix. So. And it's tricky because they don't often have a lot of experience with that. Mm -hmm. We're used to problem solving. We have to wear that hat when we're working, for example. Um, it feels a little odd to say, so I just sit in the emotion with them and that's helpful. Yeah, actually yes. it is incredibly helpful. Even if all you can say is, I don't know what to say. I'm just so glad you told me because mm -hmm. they have to feel that they're important to you, that they matter. That's the fix. That's what you're going for. But we will talk more about this. It's absolutely, that important. <laughs> absolutely. So number four is getting support. And this is similar to what we talked about with the betrayed partner. You have to have a support team. Yours looks a little bit different, especially if there's addiction. So support is family and friends that know what you're going through. They support you. They're listening for understanding and not telling you what you should do. Again, that's really important. If they mm -hmm. are telling you what you should do, 
kindly ask them not to. They want to support you, but they love you. And it often feels like to support to tell you what you should be doing. Again, that fixing piece we were they just want to talking fix it about. Too. <laughs> Everybody's uncomfortable with strong emotions and it just feels easier to say, well, just do this. Yes. Just leave them or just get a divorce or you might have to tell them, hey, look, what I need from you is just to listen. Mm-hmm. Don't give me advice. Don't problem solve. If I want your opinion, I'll ask for it. If I don't ask, then just, will you just hear me out and just love me? Just support me. And from my experience, they can do a pretty good job of that once you let them know. They yes. just need to know. Yeah. And it's really helpful to have that support, to have people who know what's going on with you and still love you and support you. You because have I think to have a that. big shame piece that comes into sexually acting out and you can feel like nobody would really love me if they understood what was really going on. And so having some of those supportive people, again, groups are going to be really critical um, and helpful for you to have some accountability with that. Um, And I think it's important to understand like who to really consider as you go through this process, we didn't talk about this last episode, but to consider who safe people are for you, right? People who would be able to sit in that with you and you don't need a ton of them, right? And sometimes it isn't helpful to go and just tell the world, right? Especially at first, but someone who can respect that place for you. And, you know, that goes for both both the betrayed partner and the offending partner is to look for those safe people, people who can hold space for what you're going through without uh, villainizing either or both of you. Right. And, and good for you to know that from research, we know that four things are very important in a recovery process. If there is addiction, we mm-hmm. call it recovery capital support in the form of group is one, sponsor is another, motivation is the third, and the fourth and final part of that recovery capital is a higher power. And so we know that those are very, very important. And we will ask you in this process, or um, if you're working with someone, they'll likely ask you in this process to join a group. It's that important. Mm -hmm. And so with a group and with a sponsor, you are getting a lot of support. And group provides a special kind of support where you're with people that you come to love and respect and they have stuff too. And you don't see them differently for their stuff. And you need to feel that. Yes. And they they get you. You know, they've been there at some level and they understand how hard it is. And it is a very unique and extremely helpful form of support as you're moving through that recovery process. And we should probably explain the concept of a sponsor so that you understand that in a very brief way. We may have to do a different episode on all of these kinds <laughs> on of things. On all of these, we need to do a separate episode. Maybe. Yes, but a sponsor is someone who has been there, who is further, much further along in the recovery process than you are, and therefore can help you as you're working through your process of recovery. And that comes with many of the groups, the different types of groups, the 12-step groups, things like that. But anytime, you're definitely going to want that accountability to someone who isn't your spouse. You're going to need it. And you absolutely, yes, you have to have that, someone who can help you walk that process. Yep. Good. 
All right, the next step is recognition and remorse. This is the opportunity for you to be responsible and accountable for your own stuff. So there has to be a recognition of the hurt that you've caused. We want to get to a place where you're not minimizing your behaviors, where you're not justifying yourself, or having sort of a like, partial remorse that kind of goes back and forth from feeling bad about it and then getting really angry and blaming or going spiraling into kind of a shame space. So it's a process of learning to feel and recognize your own stuff and to show empathy for how that's affected the people around you. This is a big one. It, it's tough and it will take practice because you don't want to own your stuff sometimes. You have to own it always. And you can do a lot of damage when you have empathy and it's working and you're taking their perspective and they're feeling, hey, there's hope here. They understand. But then you just sort of get tired of the whole thing, which is easy to do because it's mm -hmm. exhausting for both of you. And to be mad again. Don't do that. When you do that, it puts them in a place of, okay, so when they are real, how real is it really? They know, especially if you're working on a process with somebody, that a lot of this is almost scripted. You're being told what you need to do. You're being told what's important. And they always have that doubt in the back of their head that, well, is this how they really feel? Or is this only because they know this is what they should be saying? Or they know that this is how this should be going. And so that makes it a lot harder if you're sometimes doing what you need to do. Mm -hmm. Do your very, very best to always be doing what you need to do, especially when it comes to having remorse, owning your stuff. It's just hard if it's staggered. It's hard if it's occasionally. And, and you'll get better at it. But some advice, take time and space, breathe, do your own work so that you are better prepared to talk about these things. Mm -hmm. Because you want to have a consistent message and not an inconsistent you know, sometimes I, I really care how much I've hurt you. And other times I'm saying, how long is this going to take? Yes. How long before you just feel better and we're done with this? We can just move on with our lives. Yes. So again, as David is saying, that's a process and you're not going to be perfect. But if you can remember to take time and space when you feel yourself starting to get uh, flooded, which... I guess that's a therapy word too, isn't it? Definitely a therapy <laughs> word. When you start to feel your emotions getting heightened to just take a break. It's okay. Always okay to take a break and just say, hey, can I just, just take a few minutes to kind of breathe because I want to make sure I'm responding in a way that is helpful and useful in this situation where I can, you know, you can even tell them where I can own my own stuff. I want to make sure I'm owning my own stuff and being empathetic to you. And I can feel that I'm starting to react and I'm starting to get emotionally heightened. Can I just take a few minutes or 10 minutes or whatever? And then you can go and do some of the other work that we'll talk about through this process to breathe, to meditate, to do different things that will help bring that down and bring you to a better awareness of where you are so that you can step back into that space and engage. And we're going to talk about dailies in future episodes. Mm -hmm. Dailies are things you do every single day to put you in a good place so that you can do some of these things that we're talking about. 
The next one on the list is purpose. You must discover your purpose in life and what your values are and what changes need to be made in your time and pursuits. So I tell people all the time, this is not a recovery process from the problem. This is a recovery process from anything in your life that's less effective. The goal here is to become your highest and best self. That is the goal. We're not interested in anything else or anything less. I like to say it's you 2.0. So it's, <laughs> it's David 2.0. And that can be really helpful, actually, to frame it that way and say old David. Old David would struggle with this. Old David did that. I was slipping back into old David there. Can I try again? Nothing less than a complete life change is the goal. Yes. And so if you're thinking of this as like, okay, just to satisfy my, my spouse, I'm going to be doing this for a while. I hope you're taking this seriously enough that you want to have that integrity like we talked about in the very first step. You are not who you thought you were. That's okay. You can become that. Integrity, I like the definition. It's a ship. If you look up the definition, it refers to a ship that's watertight. There's no Mm -hmm. leaks. It's not getting through anywhere, and I love that. So, That's a really – I really like – when we talk about that purpose, one of the things that I talk with my clients a lot about is sometimes it feels overwhelming, this process. There's so much to do in order to get, you know, recovered from this. There's just so many steps and it's all the time and it feels really overwhelming. And one of the points that I make is that all of the things that you're doing here are just healthy living things. These are people who are living their very best selves and their very best lives, they're doing all of these things. And so I love that concept of the 2.0 and moving to this, your very best self, your values, your changes and things, because this is, it's really, you know, taking this time and this process through therapy and recovery to become everything you've wanted to become, to become that very best person. And I often have clients will come in and as they're working through this, they'll say, I don't, I don't even know who I am. I don't know who I would be without this addiction, this compulsion, this thing that's been in my life since I was eight years old. Who, who am I without that? I don't even know. And this particular step speaks to that. So maybe you don't know who's underneath all of that. And that can feel really scary sometimes. But guess what? You get to decide now. You get to decide those values. You get to decide what purpose you want for your life. Or if you already have some sense of that, you get to come back to it and build on that and create something amazing. Right, which is how you heal. You know, Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning talks about suffering and how suffering ceases to be suffering when we find meaning in it. Yes. In other words, when you find purpose in the pain, and I don't know that there's a better purpose than you're becoming your highest and best self, which ultimately means you're becoming more loving, more Mm -hmm. loving than you've ever been before, which is one of the beautiful things of a process like this. I know I said that right. Nothing about this process feels beautiful right now, I'm sure. (laughs) But coming out of this with a higher sense of purpose, understanding who you are better, and really just being more loving. We we all love 
someone or something, but we're often not very loving. Those are two separate things. Being loving is a skill that we have to learn. And so purpose is a big one. Okay. The next one is learning. You have to make time to learn and study things that help you understand yourself, things that help you understand your partner's process and what they're feeling and going through. And so you've just, you have to spend time and energy in that space. And there's a lot of resources that are available, lots of books. We talked about this last time as well. So many resources out there, but really taking the time to understand yourself and your partner. Those are critical things. Definitely are. And, and honestly, you need to want to do that. And you might need to work on some other things if, if you're not feeling like you want to do that. If this whole process just feels like something you have to do, slow down, really think through this, get the support you need. Um, hopefully you're at a point where you want to help them to heal, um, which is an important part of this. So moving on, do the work of recovery. Number eight, that sounds like it goes without say, well, it doesn't. (laughs) <laughs> do the work of recovery. In other words, create a routine, stick to it. This will include all kinds of really good things. Um, journaling, there's different things you can do, and we'll talk more about that. But plan for a lot of work, energy, and effort going towards this recovery process and do it no matter what. Remember, you're becoming your highest and best self. You're becoming your 2.0. There is no shortcut here. I have so many mm-hmm. people in this process that... They kind of want to do it their own way. And this is very hard for your partner who needs to see that you're willing to do something. I have so many people that say, well, you know, group isn't really for me. Okay, but then what are you going to do for the support? What are you going to do for the help? I I don't think you have to do group, but you have to do something. And if you can show that to me, and ultimately it's paying off because she sees it, she feels it, your attitude is where it needs to be. Well, great. One size does not fit all. However, you have to be doing. You have to be doing. We just know what it normally looks like. And yes. it seems an easier way to do it than to try to blaze your own trail. But you have to do the work of recovery. If you're not doing very much, essentially you're doing it wrong. And when I say wrong, I mean less effectively. Yes. We don't want this to be a five-year recovery process, right? Yes. Five, 10, 20 years. That's a little hard. It can be challenging to feel like, oh, there is so much, but it's so much more faster, more effective process again. And again, I think too, it's important to note, yes, you want oftentimes a relationship to continue and you want to be able to demonstrate to your partner, uh, male or female that, that look, I'm doing all of this, but ultimately again, going back to that purpose, this is, this is for you. This is for you to become the person you want to be. Exactly. Okay. The next step is patience. That goes right along with that work of recovery we were just talking about. This is going to take longer than you think, and that's completely okay. 
it's important for you to not put a lot of pressure on yourself, to not put a lot of pressure on your partner to get through this, get over it, get done with it. You know, I'm going to be done with this and check it off my box and move on with my life in a couple months. That's just <laughs> not how this works. Nope. Not it's even a close. long process. You want hope that, you know, look forward, see that hope that you can shift and change and that both of you can have your needs met in this relationship, even if maybe they haven't been before. Right. And that's a big one. And goes back to our point that we're trying to change everything. We're not just trying to change this little thing. This was just a symptom of something much bigger. Mm-hmm. And we need this relationship functioning better than it has before. If it was just the one thing, then we would only have one point and it would be sobriety. <laughs> <laughs> we would just move on. And that would be it. Yep. Finally, last one on our list is to eliminate distractions. Now, this is a big one. Anything and everything that simply wastes your time and does nothing meaningful needs to go, especially those things that lead to more acting out behavior. Fill most of that time with learning. So you're going to have to reinvent yourself a little bit here. For example, uh, everybody needs downtime. We're not saying you don't get downtime. We have to have right. downtime or we would go insane, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. We just underestimate how much of our time goes towards those yes. kinds of things. Or and how when it's not really intentional right. and it just kind of happens. Yep. It, and it's easy, right? Mm-hmm. So I always recommend that you look at everything differently. If you're playing video games, computer games, consider maybe taking a break. Yeah. If you need a longer break, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Social media. Yes. Obviously, if this is um, a sexual addiction and you're thinking that's what it is, people are helping you to see that, you're working through therapy if that's what you're doing, um, social media is not a helpful thing in this process. It's not. And we spend a lot of time on it. So if you were thinking that life would continue as normal, we just would take this thing out and carve it out and we're good. You have to rethink your downtime, your free time, what you're doing. And really, like we mentioned in future episodes, we're going to talk about dailies and routines you really want to be focused on things that help, things that help you, things that help your partner, um, things that are healthy. So physically, spiritually, emotionally, and not that you will be thinking about this for the rest of your life all the time, but there has to be big changes made in the habits and patterns and routines that you had before this. Nothing can be the same again, but that's a good thing. So it's consider be it'll be better. Absolutely. So consider a lot of the things you're doing now as probably going to change, need to change, and you'll probably have a good sense too of what those things need to be. And if you wonder, talk to your spouse and try to trust them. If they say, yeah, you put a lot of time into that. You're not very present with us. Um, When we're all together, you're on your phone. Mm -hmm. This is an opportunity and we're going to take it if we can to just, again, become your highest and best self. But it will pay off because your relationships will strengthen. Yep. You will feel closer and more connected. And that's precisely the needs that we're trying to meet. Mm-hmm. As well as being closer and connected to yourself. 
Yes. Which is a huge, huge part of this. And every time that you're eliminating one of those distractions or something that is less helpful or intentional, you are opening space for that work that we talked about, that work of recovery, that it takes significant work. So we're taking, we're giving you more space to be able to do some of those things. And the neat thing is, I mean, there's a million self-help books out there about becoming your best self. And, and this is one of those things that is in every self-help program about becoming your best self and doing all the things. It's, it's always, well, look at what you are doing with your time. Look at all of those little nooks and crannies where you spend 20 minutes here, an hour there, scrolling, doing whatever. Eliminate those. They're just turning your brain off and not being useful time to you and use that time wisely and intentionally. And sometimes intentionally is doing, you know, maybe a movie party with your kids or whatever, but using that time intentionally is what's going to give you this shift. It's going to give you the space where you can shift and be your best self. Right. This sounds like a lot, but good thing you can listen to it again if you need to. Right. So thank you for joining us on this episode. We will be talking about some of these concepts in future episodes, so mm-hmm. please come back. And uh, we hope that this process has been and continues to be helpful for you. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Two Therapists Talking. We look forward to sharing more conversations with you. Connect with us at twotherapisttalking.com or email podcast at twotherapisttalking.com.